Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, and your co-host, Keith Myers. Hey. How's it going, Bill? It's going good. Happy it feels, New Year, right? It, is this the first show of the new year or the second show? I can't even remember. I think it's the first show of the new year, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. We'll say yes. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it. Um, it is nice to actually be having a show after a win. It's been. It feels like it's been forever. And a solid, convincing win. Yeah, at that. I mean, any it, 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 it may have been the Lions, right? And the Lions are one of the worst teams in the NFL. But uh, anytime you put up a fifty burger, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Yeah. So in the NFL, the NFL, and the Lions have been playing well the last couple of weeks. Winners actually of they, two of their last three. Um, they, crushed, they crushed Arizona. It wasn't just like yeah. oh they 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 well they showed up them. and Arizona did not show up. I will yeah. say that. Yeah. Um, Seattle fifty one, Lions twenty nine. Seahawks put up nearly 500 total net yards. Wilson was 20 at 29 for 236 yards, four touchdowns, so highly efficient. Rashad mm-hmm. Penny had a day, 25 rushes, 170 yards, two touchdowns. Had a few that that um, that were that were long, and just looked. He just looks like a d- different player. I mean, just crazy and then dk medcalf with three touchdowns we had three interceptions on the other side of the ball so we've just got a ton to talk about mm-hmm. on the on the game itself um you know it was just one of those deals where everything comes together and we just haven't had a lot of that this year so when it happened i don't care if it's like the lions or whoever when it all comes together and it works really well you can kind of see the potential of this team this roster the coaching staff russell wilson everything just kind of works and you know if they would have had three or four or five of these sort of games throughout the year uh, we wouldn't be having near the conversation that we're having now you know they lost a ton of games by one score uh games in the past that they'd won you know um Mm -hmm. with russell wilson being injured maybe we win a couple of additional games we're having a completely different conversation about playoffs and all that sort of stuff and uh, now the off season is the off season no playoffs losing record now, you know, I noticed, and we'll get to the game, but I noticed it hasn't even, we're not even at the end of the season yet. And the level of Russell Wilson speculation is already in mid-off-season mid form, you know, picked up right where we left off pre-draft process last and it, year, it, which is no just sense. silly. I, I don't get it. I honestly, I don't get it. But here you're hearing guys like uh, Adam Schefter, out there hearing he's got a feeling or the the you know he's hearing enough scuttlebutt out there where he's got a feeling that the league feels like um russell wilson and pete carroll and all that kind of is just is moving on into a you know whatever that means of course that speculation to him means they're parting ways russell wilson's getting traded pete carroll's leaving etc and i don't think any and of it just happening. leads I, I know and it just leads into this perpetual conversation and then you have all these secondary sites that pick up that little tidbit of information 
turn that feeling into full-blown, this is actually happening and life as we know it is completely over. And so, and it feeds into this narrative into online sports media and talk show stuff and online um, comment threads and so forth that are just, you might as well just avoid it because it's it's completely over the top, completely speculative, yet the language being used is almost authoritarian in its, in its knowledge and its truth and its power to convince you that it's, it's actually a done deal. And I don't read it that way. Um, no, and we did want, not read it that way last year, about. Keith. Last yeah. year, you and I were on the same train almost the entire offseason. I had a little bit of speculation and, and called it as such. Um, what could happen if Russell were to leave. But other than that, you and I were in the same boat thinking, this is an overplay. This is overplayed. Yeah. Somebody's taken this small narrative and turned it into a larger than life thing. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to Pete Carroll in the offseason, like the post-draft news conferences and so forth, they shifted that narrative, thankfully, kind of pulled the team back together. Russell Wilson, you know, he was never serious about leaving we didn't think it was that way. We continued to have conversations throughout the entire off season. We've never been closer. Um, and it kind of played out that way. And well, now here we are again. There's a couple different parts of this that are really frustrating is one is you go through and, and listen, people asked Russ about if this, is this your last home game in Seattle uh, before this game? And his response is, he's like, I want to retire here. I want to be a Seahawk forever. Right. He's like, people don't I, hear that though. No. And people he goes, hear, I hope, or he goes, he goes, I haven't I, played my last game here. He says, I get that it's a business, but if it's yeah. up to, but if it's up to me, I want to be here. So he's saying that if he leaves, it's because the team wants him gone, but he's not going anywhere. And then when they ask Pete Carroll, his response is, we love Russ. We want him here. You know, I mean, he's the narrative, the, the narrative it, outside the team doesn't match yeah. the narrative between player and coach. Yeah. And, and um, Pete says, you know, Russ, Russ has a say in, in where he wants to play. Um, but we love him and we want him here. And what he's acknowledging, and oh, by the that, way, he's under contract for two years and we have team control for a total of four. Yeah. And that's the other part. And so CBS had this story where they were like, with no extension insight, you know, Russell Wilson, Seattle exit is looming. Like that was the headline. How many and I'm times like, he, he's not asking times, for an extension. Have you seen any player of any caliber extended two year with two years remaining in his contract? How many none. times? None. Did, did, um, Marshawn Lynch get a little teeny bump or something like that? He Lynch. Did. He, was he was the, the literally one. the only one. Yeah, everyone else wanted it after Lynch did, and, and the, the team kept saying no. Even Bobby Wagner wanted one a little bit, and and uh, uh, Ch Chancellor held out like a misinformed kind of holding out thing where it cost him, you know, uh, right at the beginning of the season a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. where he thought he could kind of get that play as well. It just didn't, didn't happen. Work. But no, the thing is, he hasn't asked for one. That hasn't been the play in all of this. This idea that all of this is about him getting a contract extension, where did that come from? I have that no is idea. Someone, that is someone who's completely clueless to the situation, yes. wanting wanting to write about Wilson's exit, but not knowing anything about the possibility of Wilson's exit and just making an assumption it's about a contract. It has right. nothing to do with the contract.
Correct. Um, that that one was just dumb. And so, but of course, that's out there now, and people are like, "Oh, well, he's just asking for more money. He's never asked for more money. What right. he asked for was a say. He asked for um, improved blocking. Be, well, yeah, and he asked. He and he repeat, and that was a repetitive narrative yes. from his own coach. Yeah, and he would. The only thing that he really asked for was just a say in things. Like he wanted a spot at the table. He didn't want control over who his linemen are or over any of that. But he wanted a seat at the table when those decisions were being made, um, and he got it. He got to help pick Shane Waldron. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's what he that's what he asked for. That's what he was given. Yeah, and I'm sure that he was asked about Gabe Jackson before we made that trade. I'm sure that oh, yeah, he was that, asked that about been, Jamal Adams. Like, hey, great. what do you think about adding like a really good piece on the defense? Blah blah blah. blah. I'm sure uh, those conversations happen all the time. That may have been on the defense. I'm sure though that Russ is in the building when these things are happening. They may pull him in from the hallway and just go, hey, you know, what do you think? You know, uh, when you have a franchise piece like that, he's a piece. He's part of the process when you're building a team and, and the team roster and all that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, more on the offensive side than the defensive side. I'm just saying. A guy like that, a guy like uh, Bobby Wagner, same thing. You know, he's involved mm -hmm. in, in decisions. He may be involved in offensive decisions because he might know a guy or he might have played under a coach that know, he might, they might have some sort of connection. It, it's just a, it's a business. It's, it's players, it's football, it's, it's a team, you know? And so, uh, it, it just goes hand in hand. I, I just, honestly, I don't know where the narratives come from. Um, I, I hesitate to say guys like Schefter and stuff, make stuff up. I just Schefter, do, Schefter but they just, but if up, you, but if you read exactly what he said, he started his sentence off with a feeling. Mm-hmm. It's That's a feeling around part. It's a, a feeling around the league, which means when he talks to other coaches, other GMs, not, not in Seattle, but right. other places. Yes. What, what are they what are what are they suspecting will happen? Yes. But they they're they're not in the building and they don't and they're know. not connected, right? Yeah. And so um yeah, that's, he puts that's this where out into from. the ether, which of course he does, which adds to the pile. Well, true, and but that's his job. And where he's a, where he's known to be ninety five percent factual, at least ninety five percent, right? Well, Keith, he doesn't put yeah. that stuff out where it's a feeling. Those sorts of things don't necessarily happen with Schefter well, very often. Actually, they do. Um, they you do think? all the time. They do all the time in the off season because there's all sorts of feelings. But he never comes out and says, "Hey, this is happening." He said, "Hey, the feeling around the league is mm -hmm. that this is going to happen." And then when it doesn't happen, his response is, "I didn't like report this. I just said I talked to people at other teams that, that told me this is what they were thinking." He's reporting what he's being told. He's not making anything up. But what he what he when he says that when he goes oh they're feeling around the league is that um, this is going to happen he's admitting he doesn't have firsthand knowledge of anything from the team he's just being told so that from other want, teams. So I'll ask you, and we haven't had a conversation, but I'll just ask you this anyway. So what? And it's not like you know anybody cares what the official opinion of Bill and Keith are in the and the Seahawks Playbook podcast or anything. But how should we approach this? subject this off season you know because there's a lot of speculation so should we speculate or I, no. should we just sit back and wait and allow everything to kind of happen and, and 
kind of report as it comes in on a factual basis? Well, we aren't reporters. We are. Correct. Um, and so we can discuss what's out there. I think that is is perfectly okay. So I as, think a, we can, as in today. Yeah. And we can, we can speculate as to, hey, if you were in charge, what would you do? Or if you were making this decision and Russ has been asked to be traded, what would you ask for in compensation? But we don't have we don't have the connections to come out and say, Hey, this is what we know. Cause we don't know. Um, for us, it's all, it is speculation on our part, but we have a feeling as to what's going on and we aren't pushing a narrative because we don't care about. I think, I that think kind of stuff, the so. important thing to note is um, not only is it just a feeling, but we can read, we, we have the ability to parse language, Yes, you know? And so, and we can when, do so. You can read between the lines that are there, and we correct. can actually look at now, nuance. Yes. Now, <laughs> some that report on this or talk about it in the media or you know secondary media, and what I mean by that is other people around media like us, other shows, other podcasts, other bloggers, you know that sort of thing. Um, a lot of folks. And I'm just overarching, seem to have a real challenge with, and I'll use last year as an example. Um, there was just a lot of momentum about a certain side of the story that was being propagated last year that was really frustrating. Well, the reason for that is because if you are a radio personality, it gets listens. If you're are a blogger or, you know, someone that writes for a site, it gets clicks. People are going to gravitate for what gets ratings, what gets clicks, what gets listens. I mean, because that is the, that's the name of the game. We are in an industry where it used to be you earned a salary for working for a newspaper and being right and having the newspaper's, um, you know, credibility. Yeah. As as your backbone. Today, and Peabody's and Pulitzer's and all that stuff were awarded yeah. based on the quality of to, the of the craft. reporting. Yes. Today it it's based on clicks. If you generate more clicks, you generate more ad revenue and um salaries, wages are tied to revenue. You get it's all and revenue the quality sharing. Of story and, and so forth is secondary. Yes, because which it, is, it, which if is a you sad statement. If you generate clicks, then you're making money for your parent company, and that's what matters. And so some of it is deliberate, and some of it is literally just everybody's talking about this. We're going to talk about it, too. Okay, so we got plenty of time between now and, say, you know, second, third week of free agency when mm -hmm. all of this will be settled. So we'll, we'll have time to kind of figure it out. We'll follow along, but I'm, I'm, for me personally – I'm going to follow the facts and what I hear out of the horse's mm -hmm. mouth rather than all this secondary sort of speculation. So if Russ and the team want to take care of this early in the process and put out statements reaffirming the relationship or whatever happens in the offseason with regards to the coach and, and all that stuff, you know, I think that we just will follow where the, where the facts lead us rather than speculation. I will say that in the last week and a half, Pete Carroll has – um, for anyone who is paying attention, which I think people are intentionally ignoring this, has really put a lot of this to bed because there's been a lot of questions to him about the, about the direction of the team, about 
what um, Jody Allen, the owner, wants, what the team wants, and what the plan is. And the plan, yes. whether everyone agrees with it being the right plan or not, the plan is to reset this again for next year because they believe that with Russ and DK and the talent that they've got that um, with a few tweaks and a, you know, a few adjustments and maybe a little bit better injury luck um, that they can make a run at a Super Bowl. And when he says that, that they're going to bring everyone back, that does not involve trading away your franchise quarterback. Right. That's not bringing anyone back. And you're, if you're trading away your franchise quarterback, you're admitting that next year we're not going to be competitive. Right. And that's no, not you're absolutely saying. correct. No, you're absolutely right. And that's kind of the way that we've read this, mm-hmm. you know, probably for the last month, month and a half of conversation, we've kind of seen how this is kind of going and where it could have gone and kind of in season adjustments made this to where it's, it seems to me and, and I'll, I'm not speaking for you, but um, it seems to me that that is the course and He's said it, uh, said it as such, and you've reiterated that. And I tend to think that that's probably the most likely outcome. And, and I've believed that for like the last month at least, that mm-hmm. that is the most likely outcome because change is the, is the hardest thing to do and the least likely outcome. The no change is the path of least resistance offers the most stability to the franchise, to the ownership, to the coach and to the franchise quarterback. When you can identify the issues and understand what they were and know what it takes, at least internally on an internal kind of um, self-examination that the team goes through every off season, you identify those tweaks those needs those priorities and you go attack that yeah i mean when you really take a look at it and we've talked about this it's like you got a couple of offensive linemen you got maybe one more weapon you've got a, a you know running back 1a whether mm-hmm. penny is part of that equation or not we can talk about that running back 1a and on the defensive side you need a piece or two on the defensive line maybe a linebacker and you need you know, defen- reinforcements in your secondary yep. and bingo. you need a defensive tackle and a number one corner yes um and and, and really this team, well, you would probably with those pieces you would probably add four or five wins yeah so there you you're at 11 if they went and got an if they went and got an elite corner whether it be through the draft or through a trade or through free agency if they went and got an elite corner that defense would actually be significantly better and i mean the defense is the achilles heel of this team not yeah. wilson and not well, the offensive, all, the offensive, the offensive line has been to, bad yeah. but i've got some stats to kind of back that up too but yeah but yeah so let's let's talk about let's let's talk about this detroit game let's talk about you know kind of where we're at where you see it um and and where we go so, okay, so we're going to get into this game. I think we have to start the discussion with Rashad Penny. I mean, 25 rushes, 170 yards, 135 of them in the first half um, when the team just blew yeah. the doors open and the game was over at that point. Um, two touchdowns, um, just absolutely looked explosive, elusive. Um, he wasn't running into tackles. He was, he was, but he also wasn't avoiding contact. He was... Yeah. Even exactly after contact, what, he was gaining yards. He was pushing yeah, he, forward. He was exactly what this team 
drafted four years ago and has been um, missing for two years. Yes. Even they, with they, Carson here. Yeah. They just have not had what Rashad Penny has been bringing to, to them the last four weeks. Um, well, let's talk about the last 14 quarters. 12, 12 quarters is, uh, is, you know, it's nearly four games. So 445 yards rushing, five t- mm-hmm. TDs, eight plays of 20 yards plus. He had five plays of 30 yards plus within that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you extrapolate that to a full season, that's 2,161 yards and 24 touchdowns. Now, obviously, that's not sustainable, and it depends on, you know, rushing defenses and, you know, teams trying to gear up to, to stop you specifically and so forth. You know, we just haven't reached that level yet with him. Um, and then injury is always going to be an, an issue. But it's nice to see what my, my overarching idea is. It's nice to see the offense as a complete whole mm-hmm. form being able to execute the way that it's designed. And that's what one of the things is there's been a lot of criticism of uh, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, because of the way the offense has looked at times. And it's just inconsistency and inefficiency and that kind of stuff. Um, I think that has been missing the context of the fact that the running game has been abysmal all year until Penny finally got healthy. It's been that they've been playing, they played uh, three and a half games without Wilson and they played uh, two and a half additional games with an ineffective Wilson because he couldn't throw the ball because his hand um, was so yeah. screwed up. And we're still um, number seven overall in the NFL in DVOA. Yeah. Number 10 in passing, number seven in rushing. Now, granted, um, that number seven in rushing probably came up from about 11 or 12 before Penny went off this last four weeks. But nonetheless, seven overall on an this, offense that has looked somewhat inept at times this year mm-hmm. um and given the fact that it's been so lopsided as far as the defense being on the field way yeah, the more de- than the offense the defense just can't get off the field they can't get a stop at yeah. at any point yeah. and they're ranked reason. number 25 overall dvoa 27 a- against the pass number eight overall though against the run which is good and that that matches what i think we see on the field i mean mm-hmm. i've always liked dvoa because i think it um I think it's really accurate. I think it's you'll really love this. well done you'll, together. You'll love, oh, now that you've said that, I got this next stat for you. You'll just love Do it. Do it. Roll it. The last 18 quarters mm-hmm. since Jamal Adams' injury. Ooh. We're eighth overall DVOA defense. That's four wow. and a half games. That's 25% of the season. Without Jamal Adams, we went up to number eight overall. What were we before? Well, we're 25 overall. I'm just saying in that isolated amount of games, we're we're eighth. Oh, okay. So I don't so, I don't know. So okay, I hear that. Who did we play? That's the key. Who are the, who are who are the teams? We definitely improved our chances against lower level uh, competition in the last four or five weeks. Because the Lions are in there, mm-hmm. right? Bears are in there. The Bears, even are though in we there. lost to them, lost to the Bears. The Bears are awful. Mm-hmm. Um. And Washington, um, Washington's in there and yeah. the, was it the, was it the Rams or the 49ers being the other game? Yeah. Right. If it's the 49ers, I mean, the 49ers are back or the Cardinals were in there too. I don't know. I, I don't know. I yeah. I don't remember like <sighs> how all of those games pile in, but basically you're looking at a group of, of see. bad teams. So Texans, I'm not... oh, we forgot the Texans. So 49ers, Texans, Rams, bears, lions. 
um, yeah, that's that's not a. Yeah, I mean the 49ers I mean, they, are decent, and then the um, the Rams, deep. obviously. But so you the had 40, the Texans, the Bears, the, 49ers the Lions aren't, in there. The 49ers aren't good. Um, Washington Football Club before that, but that was before Adams went out. Yeah, and so right when um, Adams went out. But you're you're talking about some you're talking about some bad football teams. So yeah. look, I would I would take so we we had a chance game. to get right is is what I'm saying. You know, and so our did. defense did look better at times, mm-hmm. but still couldn't get off the field. Yeah. So um, since we are are discussing this and we are saying that speculation is, um, you know, what we avoid but end up having to do because it's our job here. Um, what do you think the team does with Jamal Adams this offseason? And now, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, we just, we doubled down, Keith. You know, we doubled down on a decision that I think that was possibly the right decision for the wrong reasons when we when we made that decision. You know, we were in a Super Bowl situation early in a season where I think the team felt it was one player away, a guy that is a playmaker that can be all over the field, that can just like dynamically change the wholesale direction of a team by himself. And it just didn't happen. And then he got injured that year um, with, you know, thumb and his other hand and then shoulder. And, it, you know, it's, uh, they had a hard time integrating him into the team. Now this year, um, they still seem to have a hard time figuring out what to do to, with Jamal Adams, you know, at the, mm-hmm. at the first, and which I put on Ken Norton and I got a, we can have a Ken Norton discussion, but um they had a hard time figuring out what to do with Jamal Adams the first five or six games. And they finally kind of figured it out and they, they ended up getting better, you know, when he played a more traditional strong safety role and the, the, the team was able to rely then on Diggs being in the right spots and their coverages were able to tighten up a little bit better on the back end. So they didn't allow a lot of mistakes over the top all year, which was great, but they tons of stuff underneath and it was just, is kind of messy but so then jamal adams is jamal adams and he plays with reckless abandonment and part of that comes with the challenges of being injured and he doesn't have the body 
He doesn't yeah. have the body to play the way that he plays. And so this is going to be an issue for Jamal Adams every year. Every season is going to be when, how long, how many games are we going to have Jamal Adams? Mm -hmm. And, and are we going to be able to figure out how to use Jamal Adams? Not until we right get from, a new right from the get go. Yeah. Not right until from we get the, a new, day one. Not until we get a defensive coordinator that actually is creative and so willing so to answer your own question. Things. Here's um, my own question, or the answer to my own question is, um, if they cut him, if they just say, you know what, this was a mistake, we cut him, he he has a $19.2 million cap hit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he brings to the team like, more value than cutting him. No, I'm just saying, like, if if they if they cut him, or if they trade him, if they go, you know what, we're going to cut bait, and we're going to send him yeah. off into the okay. ether and let another team deal with him and take whatever we can get. So so um, you can get a third round pick for Jamal Adams and and get rid of his to, contract. I would. No, you can't but that's the thing is you can't get rid of his contract because oh, by that would be a swallow that you'd swallow that no matter what. You by trading him or cutting him, you How have How about a June 1st designation? 19.2 million dollars of like yeah. you lose that much cap room by trading him. Um, if you wait till then after you the can't. If you wait till after June first, then it becomes a two million dollar cap savings, um, and that's really what it comes down to. Is it becomes a um, is he tradable? That's what it comes down to. I don't know. I think he's more valuable next year with the Seahawks than he is without, and especially mm -hmm. if they're transitioning from Bobby Wagner. And we can have that discussion. Um, so I think he brings value. The question is, it's not, people need to get over the two first round picks. It's over. Third round pick, et cetera. It's over. It's done. That was done. That what, was the what is what is his value today versus his how much he costs? And I think he still brings enough value to the team where you keep him and you utilize him as long as he's utilized in a in a way that makes sense, like you said. The Ken mm -hmm. Norton Jr. equation of that needs to be solved. Whether yeah. Ken Norton Jr. figures it out or whether he's gone because many, it doesn't work right. It hasn't worked. It's not working. Like Ken we're Norton literally Jr. ranked 25th overall out. in DBOA. And you can call it a talent deficit. And that's kind of an indictment on John Schneider and Pete Carroll because they built the roster. Is it a talent it, deficit? It is. Is it a talent deficit? When we walked into, um, our September 1st podcast right around there or our prediction show. We didn't think we had a talent deficit, Keith. We walked in thinking our, our roster was pretty decent, decent enough to get the 12, 11, 12, 13 wins. We talked about we, it. We knew there was, we knew there was one position where there was a talent deficit. Sure. Yeah. We knew that, defensive, we knew that, defensive back was going to be an issue. Well, not just defensive back because we safety is fine. And it, that has borne fruit well, over corner, the course of the season. It's cornerback. It is one yes. position. And if you want to say defensive tackle, because but that, depth, that didn't, I will have depth, to say the though, depth that, is light. That, the, the cornerback position did improve. Um, if you can call it that, but we're still 27th overall against the pass. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, people so, can call DJ Reed great or whatever. He's great. And, and, and uh, Sydney Jones came and he really elevated the play and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, these white guys were placeholder level players in a team desperate for any help that they could get. And they were next man up. They were the starters. But they clearly wouldn't start for half the teams in the NFL. I'm sorry. They just wouldn't. 
Yeah, Sidney Jones wouldn't. DJ Reed has played well. I, he's I, played well, but I think he's out of his element slightly he's a, on the he, outside. Well, he's fine on the outside, but he's a he's a he's a he's a cornerback too. He is not a number one corner. He's not the the guy. Yeah, hit, hit, bringing him in and letting him be a starter worked when you had a number one corner opposite him, and you could roll safeties to yeah, him right. and, and help him out. And you had a, even you then had we a were middling. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, um, but there the cornerback is the bad position. But there is not. Okay, a so talent. we went into this. We went there into is the not a talent we didn't deficit. have a talent deficit. There is not. There isn't a talent deficit at the other positions. I'm sorry, there's not. Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks are um, a, a great tandem. They're a great tandem. They're one of the best, yeah. um, best tandems in the entire NFL. Quite frankly, right? we didn't get to that the quarterback this year. We were we were the bottom third of the NFL, if not bottom three in sacks in pressures in pressure rate in win rate etc and and with that and you're you're getting there with alton robinson uh um taylor and dunlap on your roster and green who let's face it rasheem green actually has played and um, and Kerry hater who had nine sacks last year and then you had um benson mayo who had four sacks last year that you know, just fell off. And they, again, they put him out of position and then they asked him to do too much. It was like, but it's set, set up like, for it, failure anyway. Yeah, But I mean, saying you've got, and they, and they here. ended up being seventh overall against the run. Yeah. So, but look at the pieces that are there and then tell me it's a talent deficit. You look at stats and you're going to say it didn't work. They're very inefficient. Well, 20, I think the scheme, 28th it, or 27th was misaligned with personnel. Yes. And that, is the Ken Norton Jr. conversation? You yes. can, it, you have to make, you have to decide. Is well, it a talent? Deficit? I think it's a larger conversation, a little bit larger than that. I don't know that it's necessarily as easy as just Ken Norton, because it's, it is it is not Ken's scheme. It's Ken's the Ken's the implementer, but Ken it's 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 the scheme of Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll is a, is a personnel guy as well as John Schneider. And they're the guys that bring in the, the talent to match the scheme. And I think that there's a little bit of failure there that we need to acknowledge. It's like Ken Norton Jr. can only do what he can do with the people that he's got. Yes, and but if that's they the feel if like as a tandem, you're saying it's a, you're saying it's a, uh, a talent deficit. It's not a talent deficit. Well, what I'm there saying is, is between is Pete ta- Carroll, hold on, on that roster. Between Pete Carroll and 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 Ken Norton Jr., and you know this, Keith, because these guys have been very successful in putting people in position to be successful for ages. I mean, they're, that's this is their craft. That's what they do. Pete Carroll's excellent at it. He really is. For whatever reason, the last two years has been a complete cluster when it comes to putting the product on the field. And I don't yeah. get where the disconnect is. I don't know if it's a complete failure of one individual in Ken Norton or if the personnel that we're bringing in in those positions isn't matching up to the scheme that they're being asked to play. But see, that's the thing is, what changed? What was the what was the biggest thing that changed? Well, the scheme you know, has not changed. The, the scheme hasn't changed, but the person running it did. Because I'll tell you that... Yeah. Uh, Gus Bradley did it for four or five years, right? Gus, Gus Bradley did a fantastic job of putting people in position to be successful. Um, 
you know, Dan so Quinn. did so did Dan Quinn, right. um, Chris Richard, less so. They were excellent. Also at did. It. All they three of those people, guys. And then you bring in Ken Norton, and now he's running a scheme with no attempt at adjusting what you do to the to the talent on your roster. Yeah, and no in game and in game stuff is really questionable. It's it, he. There is simply there's simply none of that. There's no attempt to adjust what and you're that's doing why, to the talent. And that would be why I would want Ken Norton Jr. gone. And and I and I thought about this last year as well. It was the same sort of conversation that we had um, when we were thinking Ken Norton Jr. would be the one that was, you know, have his head lopped at the end of last season. And it wasn't. It was Schottenheimer. And so we were like, yeah, well, the defense did improve. We're going to give him a pass. Let's see what happens this year. Well, then we came into this year, and the same thing hap- that happened last year happened this year again in the first half of the season. The defense was completely abysmal. And sure, there were some injuries that happened and so forth. But nonetheless, with the talent that we had on paper, quote unquote, we should have been a lot better. And we weren't right out of the gate. And for that, I think he needs to go. Yeah. And this is what I'm saying. I, I can, you could look at that roster and you look at the players and the talent and what they've done in previous years and this year and whatever, that there is enough talent on that defensive roster for that defense to be significantly better than it is. Yes. There's a weakness at cornerback. We all know it. Everybody I think there's does. a weakness in the, in the center pass rush as well from the True. interior of that defensive um, line. We, and okay, fine, but that's also been a problem in Seattle for a long time. There's enough, but even with that, even with that, and the cornerback, there is enough talent on that defensive roster for this to be an above-average NFL defense. And they're and not number the ten point. overall in the NFL, above average. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, they don't. They're, they're not going to be the best defense in the NFL. They're that. They're you would need some serious help at cornerback. Yeah, I think pass rush. Yeah, they don't I think there that. were two two critical errors by this regime in the offseason that failed to get the players in here that made that would have made all the difference in the world. A interior pass rushing specialist and a and a shutdown corner. Because without those two things, we were depending too much on a 33-year-old pass rusher in Dunlap who regressed and then got less playing time and less playing time. We were depending over, overly dependent upon a player that had not taken a snap in the NFL before this year in Daryl Taylor, who ended up stepping up and, play, and playing really well. But a lot of times, that play yeah, ended up being out of position. He was playing strong side linebacker, then they you were up, saying, and then they yeah. dropped him into pass. You're saying that he, you're overly dependent on something that actually turned out to be good. So I don't think that you can attribute. The, yeah, the but it, took, it, it didn't start that. good. It started like a rookie, you know, and then, it, you know, second half of the year, he got good. So what I'm saying is we went into the season with a couple of deficits on talent that didn't help the situation. That's all I'm saying. But the, the, which there is, was still, which is there more was than just the Ken Norton talent. Jr. problem. There is still enough. There is still enough talent on that roster, defensive roster, for it to be a top twelve defense, not a twenty seventh overall. Is that defense. is that there, a realistic? There is still evaluation. Enough talent. I look at. Is that an outside looking in evaluation, or is that is that being no, just too close to the roster? Um, you can't tell me that with the way that Diggs has played at free safety, he has been fantastic this year. 
um, the way that you've got Bobby Wagner and Brooks at linebacker, um, having a talent like Jamal Adams, which was frankly not used in any constructive way for most of the season. And then the talent that they have at defensive end and pass rusher. They, mm-hmm. the talent is there in this roster for it to have been a decent defense. It is not a decent defense. It is an awful defense. The problem the problem was that teams got around the pass rush easily enough because our defense was in zones soft zone so much that they were able to just dice and slice all year. So I mean, not having the proper talent to run your scheme is is having your, no defensive backs that change your are scheme. able to run this yeah i know and they just didn't and that maybe that is a, a you know a question for there for there, there is enough talent on the roster the defensive for the backs, roster the, to this, be the better. corners were so poor on this roster keith that teams could pass jared goff could have had a 350 yard day with the rams against this defense I mean, I'm just saying that it it was that ba- bad. Well, Colt McCoy cut this defense apart. Okay. Why did Colt McCoy cut the defense apart? No, and I'm gonna, I'm going to stay on this because it's not the talent. It is the way the talent was used. They no. Why did Witherspoon leave? Witherspoon left because he refused the run to actually do what the coaches were asking him. And, to and then he ended up going to what Pittsburgh and yeah. ended up having three interceptions on the year, and you know, and he had, had a hard time a getting decent run. He had a hard time getting on the field. The first six games, I think he had eight snaps. Yeah. Then he got a, got an opportunity to play because he'd been around the team long enough that he finally got on the field and ended up with three three picks. The The Seahawks have three picks by cornerbacks total this season. I didn't even know they had that. All three of them came in, in um, this last game. <laughs> so um, I think we're, I think we're literally arguing about the same thing. I, I think that we are acknowledging the idea that cornerbacks that that was a, a separate issue all on yes. to its own. So to say this defensive the ro- the defensive roster was perfect is by no means true. I mean that right. that is that would be that would be absolutely like just false. Right. It 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 is a flaw. Which I am attributing roster. a little bit to John Schneider and Pete Carroll because Which, of and, and the reason and the reason that I am wanting to hold them at least a little bit of accountability to them is the idea that the offense was going to be explosive this year. You know, we saw, and there were glimpses of that. So to, to, and, and Russell Wilson was primed and ready to go. We were all kind of ready uh, to have that, you know, new and shiny object in Shane Waldron to kind of, you know, make it all exciting and so forth to run a defense out there. Like they did on an otherwise potentially, deep playoff worthy roster I thought was negligible or negligent because yeah you know again it's just uh, it's it's tough because you needed a complete roster and they didn't have one yeah I mean they 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 allowed Reed to to leave and didn't have a replacement and then they 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 allowed Griffin to leave and didn't have an idea or a plan to to adequately replace him See, the thing is that you're, again, is this roster flawed defensively? Yes. Is it good enough to have gone and been competitive for a Super Bowl? Yes, the roster was. 
if you could put the players in the on the roster in a position to be successful and you had a coaching staff led by Ken Norton on the defensive side of the ball that refused to put players in position that could be successful they used probably the best in the box safety in the game right now as a deep safety for the first six games you have a guy that last year set the despite missing a chunk of the middle of the season um with injury still set the NFL record for sacks as a defensive back. And they blitzed him like eight times in seven games over one stretch. They weren't using Didn't end their up with talent a, with a sack at all. And in fact, I think, I don't even think he had a pressure this year. No pressures, no sacks. They did not use the talent in ways where they could be successful. You had your, your most productive and efficient pass rusher in Taylor dropping into coverage regularly instead of rushing the passer instead downs. of rushing the passer um and by so, design and then, not because they were missing somebody that day that was by design that was by design because the yes. coaching staff was not using their talent in the way that they should it go back to this last game they gave up um I believe it was uh, a touchdown because freaking Brian Monet, all 365 pounds of him was in coverage. I missed that. That's, that's funny. I mean, I'd love to see a clip of that. Not, not that I would love to see a clip. Of no, that, but you don't want to see a clip of that. No <laughs> one wants to see a clip of that. No one wants to have seen it live either because uh... it never should have happened. But when you're dropping a 360-pound defensive tackle into coverage, you are asking to fail. And guess what and that, happened? And that happened it a failed. lot this year. Not, not, not with Brand Monet, but it happened with our defensive ends and our, you know, and Taylor and, and our quote-unquote five tacks that we you know, like. And uh, we saw not, Robinson dropping into coverage. Uh, we saw Rasheem Green. We saw Benson, Benson Mayoa in coverage. Yeah. We saw Kerry Heidering. None of these players should ever be in coverage. No. Ever. Well, there are, a, there are a few exceptions. There are a few exceptions. In no. any defense, you're going to have some defensive end coverage on a couple of things. But you're talking about zone blitz situations where you bring yeah, right. you bring two linebackers, but you only want to bring five, so you drop someone back. Right. Um, and, and, just, and just these are take, just situational, right? And it, but we saw and it, it as, take away a as slant. A, we saw it way too much. And we right. had we had guys, I mean, you had a you, you should never in any circumstance have a 360-pound nose tackle in coverage. There is zero there is zero opportunity for that to ever be successful. It will even, never I even, work. I don't even know where we're at in this conversation, but what I'm we're gonna transition. Well, or the trans the only transition that I, that that needs to be made is away from Ken Norton Jr. as the defensive coordinator. Uh, 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 we both agree on that. Um, I just that's the to, transition. I, that needs I to would happen. love to be a fly on the wall when when Pete Carroll fires him. That's all uh, I want to say. Uh, see, I would not want to be a fly on the wall in any of these exit interview meetings because I think Pete Carroll is going to blow smoke up Ken Norton Jr.'s ass, and it would just piss me off. Mm. That's that's where I'm at. You know, if Ken Norton <laughs> Jr. is not on the team calling defensive play calls and he had to have a parachute out of the building and a soft landing, I'm okay with that. Whatever, whatever it takes to get him transitioned into his new life. 
away from calling as a defensive coordinator for the Seahawks, I would be okay with. So here's when P, when Ken Norton Jr. was the linebacker coach, he was the guy who enforced curfew during mm-hmm. training camp, and he was the master motivator on the sidelines. And watching him teach a young Bobby Wagner and a young Bruce Irvin when they were just coming into the league was fun. He was, other than Chris Richard, my favorite coach during training camp. I agree with that. Just watching him work was a pleasure. He doesn't belong calling plays and designing schemes. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he, for all of Pete Carroll's ability to teach his assistants and get his assistants ready for promotion, he failed Ken Norton Jr. in that regard. Because um, Norton yes. was, was never was never prepared for that. Yes, um, it almost and, feels like a a little bit of nepotism, in, in a sense, in that Ken Norton and Pete have been married for a long, long time. Long time. Well, yeah, know. and and when when Pete promoted Chris Richard, who had earned it and deserved it, um, Ken Norton was upset because he'd been with with Pete long. Yes, and so and he, he left. left. Yes. And went to the Raiders to become right. their defensive coordinator. Right. And, and he failed miserably and got fired halfway through his second year. And then Pete decided to bring him back and brought him back as defensive coordinator. And he admitted that losing Ken was hard on the team. It was hard on the roster. It was hard on the coaching staff. They needed Ken. But the only way to keep Ken was to promote him into a position. That's he was exactly not gonna right. Be That's exactly for. the way it went, Keith. That's exactly That's ex- the way it went. It is what happened. So they they brought him back in a position where he's not built for. He's not trained for. He doesn't have the skills for. It's not. It, it sucks. But he doesn't belong there. But you know what he what the team could have done. They should have done this last off season before this year. What they should have done instead of firing him is to promote him is to give him the Rocky Sato treatment that they, you know, from assistant head coach of defensive. Yeah. Whatever. He's a defensive head coach or assistant head coach who helps um, run the defense. But then you have a coordinator who knows how to coordinate and knows how to do that job. Yeah. I think it's running. It's it's, yeah, it's hard. I know it's hard for Pete because he's so damn loyal which I respect yeah. a lot, but it gets but, him into trouble. And, but what and happened, but, when but it gets why? you into trouble, then you, you got to have outside help. Somebody in your ear that knows that, Pete was that the guy like enough, that needs to go. Pete was smart enough to know how to handle it with Rocky Sato. Remember for those of you that are listening, that don't know who he is. He was, def- that was, he was Pete's defensive coordinator at USC came with Pete to Seattle, but did not come as the defensive coordinator. He came, um, as a general defensive assistant because he uh, he kept Gus Bradley, who had been the defensive coordinator in Seattle. He kept him on. Um, when Gus Bradley left, everyone assumed Rocky Sato was the guy. He was ready to step in and take that role. And instead, they went outside the organization, kind of, and got Dan Quinn, who had left Seattle, has the, left as the defensive line coach here, to be go, go become the defensive coordinator in college. And then he came back to the NFL as a defensive coordinator in Seattle. And in order to do that, he had to basically throw Rocky Sato a bone and promoted him to def- to assistant head coach. And 
kept him around and kept him happy and and recognized that the the team needed a guy like Rocky Sato, but also needed him not to be the coordinator mm-hmm. because that's not where his talent lied. I agree, Keith. Now the question is, you know, what do we do? All right. So I gave you an opportunity to transition and you turned me down and you kept going on this subject for another 10 minutes and I'm cutting you off. <laughs> you need to, you need to cut me off because we actually need to cut this entire show off. Well, first I wanted to talk about, <laughs> I wanted to talk about Phil Haynes for half a second because he got his first career start at left guard against the Lions and he actually did a pretty decent job. In fact, he had a really nice uh, first initial block and then a secondary block on a linebacker to spring a um, a real nice Rashad Penny touchdown. And Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to call that out. Um, And it's and it's possible that Phil Haynes gets that second start depending on what's going on with. Damian Lewis is Damian Lewis on the COVID situation. Is it a COVID um, situation too? I know that he, even if he wasn't on COVID, he probably wasn't going to start this week because okay. his his ankle has been bad since midseason. And, and, and they made the select to shut him down. Yep. Um, and then Jake yeah. Curran again had a, had a good game. Um, some are calling his his pass blocking, you know, the worst pass blocking grade in the NFL or whatever. But whatever, you know, he's I, he's mastering the run blocking part of it because I'm telling you. Rashad Penny running behind that that big guy yeah. over there is crazy amazing. They've been uh, they've been running to the right extremely successfully since Curran has been inserted into the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I disagree that his pass blocking is the worst in the NFL. Well, especially I've, after you know in these last four games, Russell Wilson hasn't taken a lot of sacks. I mean, and the sacks that he has taken have kind of been self inflicted. Some you of know, them, and, some I, of them and I noticed. Been. I noticed a couple of them t- uh, this last game. In fact, he got the ball away. He got the ball out. So he received a message that said, "Get the ball out." Mm-hmm. And and so he he in fact avoided a couple sacks by just throwing it away, which was which was a good sign. And One the sacks also, that have been coming have been a lot of them have been coming up the middle. It's been coming up from coming up through the center and through um, the revolving door of of players that have been playing at. Yeah. I uh, heard Posick. I heard Posick uh, had a good game against the Lions, but everyone had a good game against the Lions. So well, at least he had one. <laughs> um, also wanted to say with the injuries that we had um, going into this game on the secondary, uh, Sidney Jones was out. Bless Austin was out on COVID as well. John mm-hmm. Reed had a concussion in the third quarter, apparently. So corner Michael Jackson, 6'1", 200 pounds came in. He'd been on the practice squad most of the year. Came in and took snaps, had two pass breakups on his only two targets, and played special teams all, all game. And um, so I want to just mention Michael Jackson as a player, possibly to watch for, um, yeah, and see if they throw him out a you know a restricted or unrestricted free agent contract in January, a futures contract, which they do sometimes. Mm-hmm. How so, many cornerbacks have Seattle used this year? I'm thinking like at least ten since training, since the end of training camp. I mean, they 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 traded Witherspoon right at the end of training camp. Yeah. Had um, Flowers to cut him. You've got uh, Reed, Reed, Austin, Jones, and Brown as the guys that have yes. a lot of playing time. Trey Brown, um, right? right. Uh, Ugo Amadi, and yeah. you can you can also include Ryan Neal, who Ryan played Neal. Cor- yeah. cornerback before he became the starting strong safety. Now this um, kid, Michael Jackson. And before that, it was what is it, Hellsop? Yeah. Um, Galvin who, helps, helps out. Yeah. Who, um, Nigel who, Warrior, which is a great yep. name. 
Yes, it's a fantastic name. I mean, this yeah, team. Yeah, so there's, there's. This was a team that didn't have that. Ten, well, there's 11 was, right there. It was the weakest position on the roster. And then they've had to go 11 deep at it. Yes, right. Including, yeah, including a safety or two. Yeah. But nonetheless, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. and and um, Blair, Marquise Blair. Played, was was it was a yes he's a safety on the roster but he would look what he was doing nickel. they were asking he's playing nickel. Right. he was playing nickel corner so yeah i know they need to they really do need to solve that i would i would imagine they're going to do a free agent a big huge free agent signing um yeah, just to agreed. solve that position before the draft because they just have they have limited draft capital i mean they have i think Let's just say four picks in the first four rounds, but yeah. but a second round, a third rounder, and two fourths or something like that. Yeah. So they don't have a lot of draft capital to go out and find like a premier starter at that position. They might be able to find one there at the top of the second round, but do you do you pick a corner at the top of the second round when you have so many other needs? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so, especially given the, the track history of this um, this regime as far as corners. I don't think they go that high. Um, right. Oh, they haven't, gone that right. High, right? Yeah, they haven't gone that high. Um, right. I, you're saying they're the track record of them. I'm like, this is actually, that's like one of the positions where this regime has been bad. No, no, yeah, no, they do, so, they do well. I'm just um, talking specifically a draft. Yeah, spot I get what you're saying. And a draft spot. Corner. No, they won't go that high. I mean, uh, Shaq Griffin was a third round pick, right? And and they won't go, they won't go higher than that. I honestly right. believe they will. And that was a year um, where we were begging them to go second round, yeah. Um, Trey Brown worked out until he got hurt he was a um, fourth round pick or was he a fifth yeah. round pick boy you were you were hedging on that pick though i you didn't, didn't li I, like that pick i didn't like that pick. i did not like his tape i still don't like his tape i've gone back and rewatched some tape on him to see like, okay did i miss something and no what i saw was a guy that literally committed pass interference or or defensive holding on every single play and i hated it yeah I'm, i I, I, and a guy I, like that with that much talent and, and makeup speed and stuff, my feeling watching some of that and, and us battling back and forth, talking about the pick and stuff was he was taught that that was the way that he was, you know, schemed up, I think in college, it had yeah. to have been, I don't know. It, you, no one else on that, on that team was playing well, that knowing way. what we know now. I mean, he had to have, it had to have been some of that anyway. No one um, else was, I just think he knew he could get away with it, but so, no one, no one else on that roster was doing it in college. It was just him. So, so one other stat real quick, Seahawks number 24 in the league in pass protection rankings. And that's a combined base pro football focus grade, making up two thirds of that. And then ESPN's pass, pass block win rate makes up one third of that grade. Mm -hmm. Seahawks ranked 24th Rams number one so stafford gets the most production out of any quarterback in the league and still struggled the last four or five Where, weeks do you have that do you have that stat in front of you where are the bucks i do not have it in front of me i wrote it down okay because um when you said the rams were number I one think and it, and it if was i remember tampa, the bucks were like number four or something yeah. like that T tampa tampa should be one or two um honestly they um brady gets a lot of credit this year and he's played well and put up some incredible numbers but his offensive line has been phenomenal um stafford's has been very very good too and the seattle's has been pathetic again for the eight so year in a row. overall now that you we talked about dvoa just and we'll get out of here i promise we talked about dvoa 
um, briefly earlier. Mm-hmm. And you said you love that stat. Where do you think the Seahawks rank overall? Um, I would say probably 16. They are Middle the highest the rated losing record DVOA. Oh, yeah. Rank, ranking at number 12 overall. 12. That's that's. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're they'll be in the middle in, in that middle third. I put I I said right and right at the um, the halfway mark or around there mainly just because I know their pass defense is bad and um, yeah, but I know right. but their their offense is way more efficient than anyone ever and anyone thinks it is yeah. um, because it is explosive when it does work um, yeah. and the the run defense is great the pass defense is awful they can't get yeah. off the field on third down um, and their but, special oh, teams was four overall by the way. Yeah, Even especially. though Jason Myers struggled um, with with some, yeah, but his overall stats are good. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Jason Myers is weird because everyone's like, "Oh, he's so inconsistent," and then he sets a franchise record for consecutive kicks in a row. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah and then, but it, it does see that when he does miss, he tends to miss like three out of five and it's like really frustrating. And then he goes on this tear where he hits 28 straight or 30, 37 straight or what it was. And we're helped by one of the best punters in the the game. And we were helped by uh, DJ Dallas actually in return in the return game. He he was ranked like 12th overall in kick returns this year. And the Cody Barton, Nick Ballore, Ugo Amadi tandem at, covering kicks yeah, because limiting, the, the, yeah kick back those, returns. those guys yeah. get down the field in a hurry um so wow we you know what we did we just darn near had the uh the season wrap-up show we can I know just, we, we did can it a bottle, week early. we can bottle this up put a cap on it and put it out next week <laughs> now nah, let's not do that <laughs> <laughs> so uh fun show fun arguments you know, we talked oh, yeah, a lot always. about stuff that I had no idea we were going to talk about, um, brought, which, is, which is good. All I've got, all I brought as far as prep was a whole bunch of stats from the Detroit game, um, which we didn't even I get did into. The, I did the same. I know. Whatever. But I, yeah. <laughs> that Detroit game, I'll just say this about the Detroit game. It was fun. Like, it was, it was just fun to be a fan of, and watching Again, football of yeah. that game. And I, and I knew um, two people that attended that game. And they were kind of texting me during the game about how much fun it was and uh, sending me little video clips. I had one uh, guy uh, that lives in Phoenix here that I'm actually going to the Arizona Cardinal game with this next Sunday. Uh, he was at the uh, Seattle game with his dad who lives up there. And um, they were, he was right on the goal line about, I don't know, 50 seats up. And um, so he was showing me video of every time Seattle scored at that end. There was like three or four touchdowns right there. And uh, one was uh, Rashad Penny getting in from like 16 yards out, and then DK Metcalf with the really nice over the over the top uh, touchdown. Oh, that, that was, was super easy. Uh, just just like a guy that was seven yards off of him or whatever. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty. Um, so that was that was just a fun game, you know, it where was. everything kind of came together, and you didn't have to worry about anything. You just could watch and like, like you texted me. I was like well, this has turned out really well for the offense. And you're like, but the defense is still really bad. I said, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No. And, and the thing is that, that this is that game, the, the Detroit game was what the season should have been right. That the, the offense was just hard. To stop, yes. And, and other teams were going to have to, to keep up. And they that weren't exactly and they were, the way that we described the, the and, season and, before. And happened. they simply, even though the, the defense was flawed and made mistakes and, 
um, whatever, gave up some plays. It didn't matter because in the end, they weren't going to keep up with Seattle's offense. And that's what this, that's what the roster was built as. And Wilson's injury and a little bit of bad offensive line play early. And, you know, the defense just being far worse than we predicted in terms of their ability to get off the field and just the time of possession issue that it created um, just kind of derailed everything. But the Detroit game was how this season was designed. Yeah. And it was was fun to see the offense work off of like um, developing over four quarters. Mm -hmm. It's like they set things up, you know, Rashad Penny being able to run just really makes everything so much easier. It's mm-hmm. like when you rape or run the ball, you can run play action stuff. You can get under the, you know, you run different sets that look the same out of the, you know, all the sets look the same. You run five or six different plays out of those and you, your defense is just on the heels all game long. And so I just thought it was just a, a fun way to, to go about calling a game. I, I'm sure Shane Waldron was like, God, finally, you know, finally. Yeah. Cause that, cause that offense, what it, what it looked like there was what it was, is what it's designed to do where you can run the ball. You run it effectively, not you're not running. I mean, they ran it a lot in this game cause they got a lead and and they could, and the lions could stop it. Um, but they ran it effectively. And well, when you forward, run for freaking seven or eight yards a carry, yeah. <laughs> which is basically what it amounts to. I mean, you can't do anything wrong. Yeah. And run, so, run and, and, and then you, you let Wilson, um, you know, throw the ball on the move, roll the pocket, um, play action, take his deep shots when they're there. Um, This was what the deep, this is what the offense is designed to look like. And they simply haven't been able to run the ball and pass block well enough. Yeah. Super efficient. Russell Wilson throws for four touchdowns, but he throws for less than 300 yards. Mm -hmm. You had 30, what? 32, 33 rush attempts. Penny had 25 of those. You know, Homer had five or six, and Wilson had one. Then you had some wide receiver, you know, type stuff going on. And Lockett yeah, this is perfectly, perfectly balanced, I you know, which Everett is exactly, one. this is exactly what Pete Carroll is talking about when he talks yep. about bat balance and running effectively and being efficient. This is like, this game should be like encapsulized. And every time mm-hmm. Pete says that, and people go, oh, he wants to run more. He doesn't want to run more. He wants to run more effectively. This is the game to watch. Well, yeah, and if you, if you are if you run more effectively, then you extend drives. You have more. You run more plays because you're Take not more time. Right? Your yeah, defense you're not, is better. Yep. You're not just. You're not. Your your offense isn't scoring just on deep shots, um, and you're you're just running more plays overall, which means you have oppor- more opportunities to run the ball. Um, but it all starts with being able to run it effectively. Yes. And it's something they have. And that's been able why to do this offseason is going to be all about making sure that that happens next year. Yeah. They're going to, they need a like running Pete back. Carroll said it out of his, came out of his mouth last year, last offseason. And then mm-hmm. they went and got Gabe Jackson, but then they didn't address the center position. And then they didn't figure out like shell long-term. They didn't figure out what Brown was, what was going to happen long-term over on that side, even though he kind of diminished a little bit the year, year prior, they went ahead and went into the season with that. And then the running back room was completely unsettled. Chris Carson coming back off injury knew that he wasn't going to last more than 12 games. If that he lasted Rashad, Rashad Penny wasn't going to last because he never had lasted. He didn't until, you know, 
he went into the midseason with back and forth injuries and stuff and then came on after that. You went into the season knowing that, yet you went in with that plan. And well, so this the, year, I think you're going to see the center position addressed. You're going to see long-term situation at left tackle or a short-term solution. You know, right tackle looks like we've solved that. Um, you're going to go in with a, with a new running back probably. You know, cool. whether they solve that in free agency or not, I don't know. But it'll be solved one way or it's, another. It's weird because if you go back um, – one year ago today, we were having the same conversation about defensive end that Pete Carroll went into the offseason saying, we're going to address the pass rush, and they didn't. And then they kind of had to like piece stuff together and eventually yeah. trade trade yeah. for Dunlap and whatever. Yes. But then they came into this year with defensive end as they were loaded at defensive yes. end right. a, year, a year late. And yes. um, so he, you know, they went into the last this last offseason saying, we're going to fix the running game. And then they they didn't. But I'm going to be willing to bet that this offseason is they're going to do what Pete Carroll wanted to do a year ago. And that's to get a center who can. They need an identity, play. Keith. And the, yep. they, I think they the, the nice thing about this Lions game, and I know it was just Lions, but the, I think they found the identity that they've been looking for all year. Mm-hmm. And it came by running the ball and running it, it came- effectively. And, and creating the, that efficient offense. And all the, the play action and getting the ball out of Russ's hands because he doesn't need 40 yards. He needs three. So he's okay taking that quick uh, hitter pass to Everett in the middle if there's if there's an opening there uh, and and doing that kind of stuff or throwing the the, uh, the quick ball out to, to Metcalf and letting him get upfield. And they did that kind of stuff because they were in second and three or third and yeah. one. Oftentimes lot. you would hear the announcers and I picked up on this, you know, this is like a throwaway down. Like I heard Talib say this like two or three different mm-hmm. times. They were like second and one, second and two. And they were like, you know, you can do anything here. You can throw yeah. the ball. You can hand the ball off. You don't, it doesn't really matter. It's like, as long as you don't, kind of as long as you don't take a sack or, or, or give or up a penalty or give up a penalty, right. you are, um, you can do anything you want. You can throw, you can throw that deep ball because you come back, it's third and one and you can get yes, that. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. There's a lot of that. Oh, well, okay. Um, speaking of which Talib as a, uh, commentator, I thought was very effective. Um, you like that tandem? I heard a I, lot of, I heard a lot of that, that everyone really kind of dug this particular tandem as opposed to the old dry, yeah. good old boy school um, of broadcasting i liked to leave i think i thought he had interesting stuff to say he's coming at it from a guy who is a pro bowl cornerback so when he's talking about what offenses want to do you know he's coming at it thinking about it as okay when i prepped as a defensive yes. player this is what we do and, and so you he has that perspective and so when he was talking about hey offenses want to do this and this is why they do it and that kind of stuff i felt he had something to say he had something like meaningful to say um i like that tandem like um and i know that's it's it's like the thing to hate on every broadcaster that's ever ever lived and everyone whines about you know broadcasting broadcasters for no matter who they are but i thought to did a fantastic job and now what was the uh, what was the other do you remember what the other guy's name was i just don't off the top of my head i feel bad but i don't actually, he said yeah. he said see hacks at some point in the in the show and he lost me I was like, oh, dude, you did not go there. And he, <laughs> he corrected it. And I was like, dang, he, he says that all the time. He said that out loud. 
and he says that all the time <laughs> when he's talking to buddies and friends about the Seahawks. And then he said it, you know, in the in the in the call, and I was like, oh, don't do that. But yeah, uh, I think overall whatever. it was no. yeah, no, whatever. It was it was effective, like like you said. It's nice and refreshing when they've got guys that have played the game that come mm-hmm. in and, and and have that real insight um, that aren't homeristic, that aren't favoring one team or another, but just want to call a really solid game straight up and offer all that insight. I like that too. So. I mean, for him, it was. It was the defensive back per, um, perspective that was similar to when Tony Romo first came into the booth, and you had that quarterback perspective. And he would he would say, "Oh, you know, here's watch the safety. If the safety comes up, they're going to throw this pass, and that's exactly what would happen." Um, and, and and having that from the quarterback perspective was awesome. And then Talib had that same kind of analytical like um, like idea as far as what he was doing. But instead of from the quarterback perspective, it was from the defensive back. The it would be interesting to very. Interesting. You just kind of gave me an idea about doing more trios in the booth and, and putting having, both of those guys having, together, putting those guys together. You know, similar matchups where mm-hmm. you've just got that back and forth kind of thing going on, like the schematic sort of back and forth that you see during the game. Yeah, um, and then the you chess, pair him with someone. Pair him with someone like Al Michaels who calls the game it doesn't but knows, get in the way but knows how to shut up and yes. let and and let silence be and exist which can happen in a tele it television can. thing and listen to other people and not trying to just keep talking Bingo. um al, al michaels talib and tony romo as a group as a trio would be phenomenal <laughs> that, like that would that be would be funny that would be a, so much fun to listen to yeah that nice. would be and have um yeah and have Snoop Dogg in there <laughs> just to add the balance, the flavor oh. of, of having the real world shizzle. You must have watched the man. That. You must must have watched the Manning cast. Yeah. Um, well, I saw a little bit of it. You know, a guy's got a <laughs> guy's got to have a spot. You know. Yep. Damn. Okay. I don't think you. I don't. Rather than Snoop Dogg, bring in Marshawn. <laughs> Because you want a guy that has that same street that, cred, the that, that cred, Marshawn. and just uh, I, I gotta tell you, um, Marsh, Marshawn's got it in spades more than Snoop Dogg, and I, I that's funny. And I am not someone who's gonna gonna bash on Snoop. No, Dogg. especially from the from the hood, the real it's, hood. It's yeah. all it's all just respect for for Marshawn. I I love the guy, and and um, ha- having him come on that occasionally and just to be there and do his thing. That would be hilarious. You know? Yeah. Maybe the NFL should have, you know, a couple of, of event nights where they just kind of create this like over the top spectacle. They bring in these guys and, you know, they just have fun with it. And that would be just kind of a special broadcast where, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, find Keith on Twitter <laughs> at Myers NFL. I'm at MWC Hawk. The show's at Hawks playbook. Seahawksplaybook.com has all the, everything and uh, find us on your favorite podcast app and youtube and subscribe that would be awesome and happy new year to everyone including you keith and you bill go hawks go hawks seahawks playbook podcast listeners thanks for joining us for another edition of the show you can find us on twitter bill is at nw seahawk keith is at myers nfl and the show is at hawks playbook You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.